Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have banded together to battle evil. They are the heroes of World War II, as well as their sons and daughters, protégés and godchildren. Two True Freaks presents The Tales of the Justice Society of America! of the Justice Society of America. My name is Scott Gardner, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Michael Bailey. For a second, I thought you were going to say either Bill Robinson or Paul Spataro. (laughs) Whoever I'm with tonight, as I'm always with him. I don't know his name, but he's a hell of a guy. Sound like you've been drinking. Oh, yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> he's a hell of a guy. He's a hell of a guy. I almost stepped into my Pete Hesh impersonation. <laughs> Shut up, you <laughs> bastard. I swear I got nothing I got nothing stronger than uh, grape-flavored water right now, so... Oh, I've, got, I've got homemade sweet tea that I made myself. <laughs> and I've got a Coke, and that's about as strong as I'm getting tonight, so... Yeah, I was listening back to some old episodes not long ago. Not not of this show. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. Back before your trip to the Betty Ford Clinic? Yeah, essentially. And it was like, damn, I was drinking every... I was like a freaking alcoholic in the early episodes. What happened? You know, it you usually like goes the other way. Dude. Uh, I do. I haven't... I Man, I haven't touched this stuff in forever. I guess it's a good thing, but... I don't know. I'm just... I'm surprised, you know, between... You know, the, the the wife and the kids and, you know, you and Paul and Bill and Chris. And, man, I I should be a raging alcoholic when you really think about it. But You know, I was I was thinking the same thing about you and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Jeffrey and, uh, and Shag. Oh, there you go. That guy, yeah. And, and he doesn't make me want to drink, so, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... And and I work retail, so I should I should have no liver, essentially, <laughs> is what I'm saying. No, I, I I really I've never really been much of a drinker. I, you know, every once in a while I have like a beer if we're like eating out or something. And for whatever reason, I have really gotten to like rum and coke. But and this is really funny is that I forget who it was, and I'm not picking on him, but uh, back on Independence Day, one of my friends on Facebook posted up a picture of the Coke you get, like, at Kroger. Uh, and it's bottled in Mexico. And you know it's bottled in Mexico because it's made with real sugar. Hmm. Right? Okay. Right. He's like, nothing more American than Coke. And I thought, this is a perfect analogy of America today. 
<laughs> it's Coke, but it's made in another country. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but no, but no, that, that it's made with sugar instead of high fructose corn syrup. So it actually tastes like Coke used to taste. Right. And then it hit me that there's probably people out there listening to this show that have no idea what we're talking about when we say that Coke and Pepsi used to taste different. Right. And, uh, but I found that, that the regular Coke that you get just at the store doesn't really taste good with the rum, but that Coke does. And I have no idea why it is. So maybe it's all in my head. But it must that, be the, the way the sugars play together or something like that. More than likely. I mean, rum's kind of a sweet alcohol to begin with. So. Right. <sighs> I joked on uh, on uh, Comics Monthly Monday that uh, that we were talking about food, so it wouldn't be a Comics Monthly Monday without talking about food. I don't know if we're going to be setting up that we're going to be talking about <laughs> on this show. So. That'll be the that'll be the new thing now. <laughs> when we're not insulting sports fans. Oh, I love to do that. <laughs> Should do that do that for a whole episode. So we got something a little different this time out. We do, actually. This is uh, what could be kind of subtitled the, well, we just needed to get an episode out episode because, you know, we're kind of off format and off script and everything else. We didn't bring a book tonight. Um, No, we we decided that we needed, well, for one, I'll be honest, we needed to get an episode out because it's it's been too long. Uh, You guys are probably going, I thought these assholes said that they were off hiatus. Yeah, I know. We've had some uh, some scheduling issues going on, so that I do apologize. That's why the episodes have been a little infrequent. We basically we ran out of a backlog of episodes like we had had when we came back. We stockpiled a whole bunch of episodes against this sort of thing, but uh, just you know, life conspires sometimes, and uh, so that's that's what's happened. But uh, enough about that. Essentially. Uh, what we're going to do tonight, we've decided, you know, the inbox is full to overflowing. You guys have really, really been awesome with stepping up, answering the call for feedback, and we, uh, we've been inundated. I mean, our, our, our cup runneth over with feedback. So we've just basically a, uh, a listener feedback slash lis- listener, a kid hook, listener appreciation, uh, episode. And uh, and just kind of addressing the uh, the awesomeness that has been coming our way. Before we get into that, if you don't mind, Mike, I, I wanted to kind of address the listener appreciation portion of this because uh, man, gotten some awesome, awesome swag lately. And uh, I mean, this isn't even everything, but this was the stuff that I considered that was most directly related to tales. So this this was the stuff that I wanted to address. Uh, for this particular show. Um, so I'm going to just kind of burn through these real quick so we can get into the feedback portion. But, uh, this one goes back a ways. This is, this is a much, much, much overdue shout out. And I do apologize. It's taken me so long to get to this particular one. I couldn't tell you what episode it happened in, but I, I don't even know if you'll remember this, Mike, but way back in an earlier episode, you and I were talking and I don't know how we got in, into a tangent about like weird back issues that we're trying to find for our own collections. It, it probably spun out of a uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse segment that we were probably. doing or something. And I happened to mention uh, that I've been chasing for the longest time a, a, a certain comic. And the only reason I was chasing this comic because 
uh, of this weird fascination I have with comics that are displayed somewhere at Walt Disney World. And over in the Animal Kingdom, in a couple of different locations, there's a bunch of great old Marvel. It's mostly Marvel and DC, although there are some indie stuff uh, in there, too. But there's all these old comics all with dinosaur themes, you know, so all the, all the covers have dinosaurs on them and, you know, everything from like Conan the Barbarian. So there's an issue of like Batman, I think it's Batman Chronicles or something where he's fighting a dinosaur. There's an issue of, um, code of honor where Spider-Man is fighting a dinosaur, just all these different dinosaur theme covers. And, uh, I'm pretty sure, come to think of it, it must have been an, uh, uh, one of our segments doing elsewhere in the in the DC multiverse, and it showed the cover to the Warlord Annual Number Three, and I, I think that's where the conversation came up. That hey, I, I've been trying to find a copy of that. Anyway, long story short, damned if that comic didn't show up in my mailbox, nice. and this was the letter that came with it. So Scott, here is a copy of Warlord Number Three. It's actually Warlord Annual Number Three. Uh, which you mentioned needing on a recent episode of Tales of the JSA. It has dinosaurs on the cover. I had a very long run of Warlord back in the day, and they were among the books that I sold when we moved from Virginia to Ohio. My run of All-Star Squadron was also among the books I sold back then. That's a total bummer in retrospect. But Warlord has been a title, along with John Sable and Rom, that I have been able to largely reacquire uh, for my LCS's regular 25 cent sales. I have total confidence that I will be able to find one again for a quarter. Enjoy Professor Allen, host of the Quarterbin podcast, co-host of the Short Box Showcase, and co-host of the comic, or excuse me, the book guys, not the comic book guys, the book guys show, which I actually was uh, a guest on once. And I just thought this was awesome. I, I, I mentioned it offhand that I was find it dude not only sends me a copy he sends me his copy that's pretty friggin awesome so thank you professor uh, professor allen i really really appreciate that i thought that was really awesome and uh just helps feed my addiction because i'm i'm trying to complete this collection little by little piece by piece so that uh that batman chronicles i'm sure disney play, paid tens of cents uh, <laughs> probably yes of that because that's uh <laughs> That's a 50 cent title if I, you know, I don't think I paid more than 50 cents for my entire run of Batman Chronicles. I'm I'm still chasing that particular one because the thing is, I want them for this little sub collection that I'm building, but I don't want to pay anything for any of them. You know, it's like, yeah, I've got yeah, to, I've got to catch them on the, you know, mo most of them are crappy back issues anyway. So, I don't, you know, it's like devil dinosaur and stuff. So it's like, I got to get them on the cheap, but. I want them, you know, just, just to build that collection. So yeah, yeah, little, uh, little by little. My friendship with you has made me even cheaper about comics. And I don't <laughs> know if that's a good thing or not, but that's just, that's just kind of how it's worked out. I, uh, I oh. was, uh, hunting John Byrne's run of Namor a little while back. Cause I, I had it and I had sold a bunch of comics like 10 years ago. Uh, and I decided, you know, if I was going to get it, I didn't want, and I was looking on eBay and sometimes you can find some really good deals on eBay. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, people really want to sell their 90s books for, like, $2 a piece. <laughs> uh, so I just I just waited till my LCS bought a collection and got it out of 50 cent bits. Yep, there you go. Yeah, most of that stuff's worth nothing. No, I didn't, re I didn't sell that. I didn't have the whole thing. That was it. I'm sorry, I was confusing my 
<sighs> you didn't buy them all off the off the stands? No, that I I bought like issues sixteen through nineteen off the stands. Wow. Uh, so that a lot of that was back issue stuff. That was when I was still like in my most enamored phase of burn and, and followed him anywhere and, and bought whatever he put out. And I, I did buy all those. I remember dropping it like a hot potato as soon as uh, Jay Lee took over. But uh, yeah, yeah. but I, I did buy it right, right faithfully from there, even though he continued on as writer. And I would generally I like Burns writing and generally I would stay on a book if he was the writer with that particular one. I, I literally the, the art put me off so badly that I just I just dropped it. Um, But, I, you know, I, I like the you know, you and I were talking before we got started. I really like the episode of, uh, of Back to the Bins that you did recently with uh with Andy Leyland and um um J. David Weeder covering uh you know Namor and and Superman and um the hell's naked the name girl. of that story? Yeah and the naked space. girl story critical space yeah I love that story. Love that story. See I had no idea I was wondering because I, I knew by the picture that was posted with the episode that you were covering the reprint of that story. I've all often wondered how the reprint was handled when Dark Horse put it out, if they if they covered her up, and I guess according to the synopsis that they actually did, which is a shame because I think they that's one of the bottom. They, they oh okay, her, you know there was breasts throughout that entire. Oh okay, oh that's thing. good. So, but no, they they just they put a little loincloth thing on her. Hmm. I always thought that was. You know, I mean, it's an awesome story. It's a and that was one of the the big things about that story was that you know here was was Byrne doing a nude. You know, mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, and I mean, there was a, there would be a tendency to be, oh, you know, he just picked it up for you know whatever. But no, I mean, honestly, it was I was fascinated because that's one of the things I found fascinating about the art of John Byrne, where that story was first published, is that there's a hell of a lot of nudes in that book, and he drew uh, beautiful women, you know, mm-hmm. at, at the height of his of his art style like that. So I really liked that aspect of it, and. uh but it was neat to see that showcased in a in an actual story as opposed to most everything else in there is like rough sketches or pinup style things that sort of stuff you know but you actually got to see it in context in a story in that particular story and i really liked that so i wondered how they handled it in the reprint anyway we are tangenting like crazy which i guess is okay for this particular show um next up next shout out real quick this one comes with a letter as well. This is from uh, our friend Dario Gonzalez. And uh, he just sent a quick note here. It says, hey, Scott, been going through my collection and found this. I know how big a fan you are of the film, so I think it belongs with you. Uh, he says, thanks to you and uh, all the freaks for keeping me company whenever or wherever in the world I may be. All the best, Dario. And he sent me a comic that, you know, if someone had asked me if I had this, I'd have said, oh, yeah, I have that. I didn't have it. And as a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever even opened it before because he sent me the Rocketeer, the official movie adaptation, which is the, um, nice. It's like a, like a prestige one shot style format, you know, like the, like the ones that DC was doing in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And the cover of course is by Dave Stevens. It's the Rocketeer standing atop the Griffith observatory, holding the flag, you know, an iconic shot right from the movie. And I guess I thought I had this because I thought this was by Stevens, but it's not. It's by Russ Heath, and it's really, really good. Who I was put that really, out. 
It is by, hang on here, get it out of the bag real quick. This is by Hollywood Comics. You know, I wonder, I, I'd have to check, is that the same people that put out that Dick Tracy prestige format? Series? You know, it might be, because this is actually, it, it, all it is is it's a subsidiary of, uh, of Disney. Yeah. You open it up and it just says published by WD Publications, Walt Disney. So, yeah. Because I remember the previous summer, because that came out in 1991, and the previous summer was the big Dick Tracy summer, and you'll no doubt remember the t-shirt tickets. Oh, yes, yeah. And that whole thing. And and, and that has to be an episode of Comics Monthly Monday at some point. Yes, absolutely. Uh, not only talking about the movie and everything, but the, the comics, comic yeah, comics, yeah. With it. Because right around the time that movie was coming out, I was going from... I lived in Pennsylvania at the time. We went down to visit my grandparents in Maryland, my mom's parents. And from there, I was going home to fly down to where I am now to go on a big trip with my dad's parents. And we were at my grandmother's house because we were rebuilding her deck that weekend. And my mom walked in and she goes, oh, we were at the Disney store. I got you this. And she handed me the first issue of that Dick Tracy book. And I loved it. The Kyle Baker did the art. Normally, I'm not a yep. really big fan of Kyle Baker, but there was something about that book that I re I read that thing a thousand times that summer, and it wasn't until about three years ago that I got the second issue. Uh so yeah, we definitely we got to pencil that in because I think that would make a really good episode of Comics Monthly Monday, of talking about the comics and the movie itself because that movie is largely underrated in my opinion, uh, much like the Rocketeer, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I got the biggest kick out of this. And, you know, I just noticed something while looking at the uh, there's not really an indicia in here. It's, you know, it's graphic novel style. So it's, you mm -hmm. know, full credits on the inside front cover. Not only is it illustrated by Russ Heath. Guess who it's written by? Who? Peter David, who did the that, novelization. Yeah, I was about to say that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, sweet. There's a great moment in here, a moment that I really, really liked that when Cliff escapes from the diner, remember they're all being held in the diner and then he manages to, uh, to get away and he flies, you know, after PV puts the, the gum on the rocket pack and he takes off. There's a little scene here that, and this is why I loved comic adaptations back in the day. There's a little scene that's in the comic that's not in the movie where the Rocketeer uh, catches a guy that falls off of the top of Grauman's Chinese Theater. And after he catches the guy, he lands. And when he lands, he lands in wet cement in front of the theater. And then he takes off. So a woman walks up and inscribes Rocketeer in the wet cement. So the Rocketeer's footprints become an imprint in front of the Chinese Theater. And what's funny is the reproduction of the Chinese Theater at Hollywood Studios, there is a Rocketeer imprint oh, with awesome. the rocket blast in front of the Chinese they theater. They might have so filmed I that was really... it and just cut it out of the movie. I'm wondering if that's so. That would be because... really awesome to find out. Let me ask you, if you when you saw that in the theater, because when you watch it on, on DVD now and they introduce Neville, mm -hmm. uh, there's like this giant sword fight at his house. Right. And I remember when I saw it in the theater that the entire sword fight was there, and then on DVD it wasn't. So am I misremembering that, or 
I, I wish I could remember the first time I saw it better. I mean, I remember seeing it in a theater and everything. I remember being, you know, really taken with it, but I, I don't remember if it had additional scenes that, you know, that are missing today. I honestly don't recall. It wouldn't okay. surprise me, though. It wouldn't surprise me at all. All right. Maybe I'm just crazy. That is a movie that's that's rife for them to go back and do like a special edition Blu-ray or something and put a whole bunch of bonus stuff with. Because there's so much stuff that they could dig up to put oh, you know, out for that. I, I completely agree. You know, just the, the promotional stuff alone that they did, um, you know, could could fill, you know, quite a bit of bonus material for something like that. Because they really tried to make a go of that property and it just didn't take for whatever reason. But I, It's a shame. I just, I remember being in love with it from the first time I saw the trailer. And I remember the main reason I was interested in it when I was 15 was it was done by the same guys that did the Flash TV series. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, it was like bonus. And then you find out that Dave Stevens was the one that designed the Flash suit on the series. Was he? I didn't know that. Yeah, if, if there's an issue of Starlog or comic scene that has the sketches for it in it. Hmm. And it was basically, they were working on all of that stuff at the same time. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so there's like, so now it crosses over into the Flash TV series, which, that was my ninth grade year. So that was when the Flash was on. So that was when I was like most into, so it was, Rocketeer is just like this part of this multi-layered thing of me being 14, 15 years old. So. Wouldn't that have been a hell of a team up? Oh yeah, TV oh, Flash and the Rocketeer. That would have been great. I don't know how they could have ever made it happen, but that would have been fun. Oh, they could have found a way. <laughs> Another uh, shout out here. All right, this one here is going to be a, seem like a bit of a mystery at first, but bear with me. So, I get this this email, right? Or maybe it was a Facebook message. I forget. Essentially saying, "Hey, I got some stuff. I'd like to send it to you. Send me your address, right? Are you interested? And I'm like, hell yeah. If it's free, it's for me. I'll take it. I'll take it off your hands. So Here's not really, syphilis. not, not really realizing, you know, what, what the deal was. I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I get this box from Alaska and I, I wish I had the box sitting here. The freaking postage alone was ridiculous, right? I mean, a lot of money was. Big-ass box. I open this box up. Here's what's inside. I've got the tick. Omnibus number one. Nice. Omnibus number two. Omnibus number three. Omnibus number five. The tick. Karma Tornado. Omnibus number one. Actually, it doesn't say omnibus, but I'm assuming it is. It's volume one anyway. It's like the trade reprint. The Tick Karma Tornado number two, which again, trade reprint style, right? This is a shitload of Tick comics here. Most of these, let's see, I can't see those. They're bagged and boarded, so I don't see. All right, well, just, just to take one as example, number three, for example, the Omnibus number three, $10.95 original price. These suckers are not cheap, and they're thick as a brick. I mean, they're big old books, right? I'm a huge Tick fan, loving this stuff. But you're probably wondering, wait a minute, you're talking about the tick. What the hell does that have to do with anything related to the JSA? Well, here's the kicker, right? Brand spanking, frickin' new, pristine mint cop. Friggin' thing just came out. Superman versus Shazam, the trade edition. 
Original cover price on this sucker is 20 bucks. 20 bucks is brand spanking new. I got all of this sent to us by our good friend, Kelly Logue. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, I was so taken with this. I mean, the tick stuff alone was awesome. But that Superman versus Shazam, I was like, dude, seriously, this book just came out. It's a $20 book. What the hell? Turns out he bought it. He read it. He didn't really care for it. So he passed it on to me. I'm like, thank you so much. Because this covers, of course, the Superman versus Shazam, um, you know, the, uh, the, the oversized book that you and I covered, you know, not too many episodes ago. And it reprints all of the Superman and Shazam DC Comics Presents stories, including that annual that we've talked about many times with, uh, with stories of Shazam. So I can't wait to sit and reread this because it's gorgeous. It's beautifully recolored. It, it just pops, man. It looks so good on these nice white pages. Cannot wait to sit and reread this. And I was thinking about it as I was flipping through here. I, I'm, of course, very familiar with, you know, the oversized book. We recently reread it and covered it for the show. I'm familiar with all the DC Comics Presents stories. These are some of my favorites from DC Comics Presents. But that annual, I have a copy of it. But as I'm flipping through this, I can't say for sure whether I've actually ever read the thing. I know I have a copy of it, but I just, I don't remember having read it. So I'm really looking forward to reading this book and, you know, rereading these stories just in case I haven't ever read this. And, and be able to discover, you know, a whole new Superman and Shazam story. But I love the art. I know you're not the biggest, uh, uh, you know, Gil Kane on Superman fan, but I really love, love the art in this with, uh, you know, Superman by Kane. And it actually looks like it's both Superman, Earth 1 and Earth 2. And you've got the entire Marvel family, you know, Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., all fighting you know, Savannah wearing his green Marvel costume, you know, with the powers of, uh, of Shazam. I just think this is really cool looking. I, I can't wait to dig into it. It's really, really awesome. But, uh, Kelly, you really blew me away, man. I totally, totally surprised. I thought this was really awesome. So thank you so, so much. That is awesome. That's, that is uh, really cool. Haul there. I got one more and then I, I, I promise I'll <laughs> we'll get onto some emails here. I had the pleasure not long ago, um, as we record this, this is probably, probably going back, I don't know, six weeks or so, I think. I don't know. I've lost track of time. But sometime over the summer, uh, I finally got to meet in person Tim Elliott, who uh, listens to the show. He's a, he's a faith devotee to uh, all things True True Freaks. Met up with him uh, while he was down here in Florida uh, on vacation everything. Great guy. It was a lot of fun meeting him. We had some really good nerd talk while we got together. And he had a little present for me that I thought uh, totally fit with the theme of the show. And, Mike, I know you're going to appreciate this one. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this because this is one of my blind spots when it comes to Superman that I've always wanted to know more about. So this is a big old oversized book. It's called The Superman Radio Scripts. Volume 1, Superman vs. the Atom Man, original mm -hmm. scripts from the 1940s radio series, The Adventures of Superman. I love the cover on it. It's a classic, you know, squinty-eyed Schuster Superman. 
And this just looks awesome. It is literally the scripts for, you know, all these episodes going all the way up to... Looks like they're kind of strangely numbered here. Let's see. I'm not sure if it, if there's a year on these or not, but it's, anyway, it goes up to uh, the Adamant episode L851, and I mean it's a big old book, mm-hmm. but it looks really really cool. I'm looking forward to digging into this because uh, that's a fun book too. Do you have this one? Yes, I do. I think this looks like a lot of fun. I've always wanted to know more about. The, uh, the radio adventures of Superman. It's, it's just one of those things that I, you know, I've known it's been out there and just hadn't quite gotten around to it yet. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, but I really appreciated that. I thought that was cool because I'm always up for, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for anything classic Superman. So I thought that was really cool. But, uh, but that's, uh, that's my haul. I thought that was pretty awesome, and I wanted to make sure that everybody got thanked and got a proper shout-out. So thank you very much, guys. I really do appreciate all the swag. It's nice. Before we get into this, I do want to send out a big congratulations. Uh, not only is he a friend, but he's early writer into the show uh, back when we started this uh, whole thing. Uh, Charlie Niemeyer. Oh, yeah. Congratulations to Charlie and his lovely wife. Uh, why is her name escaping me? Um, <laughs> Angie, that's right. Angie, Sorry. yes. Uh, Charlie and Angie, they they had their their little boy, Grayson Charlie Niemeyer. Nerd. Um, <laughs> cute kid. They're posting pictures like mad on Facebook. Of course, there's a lot of Superman stuff in that because that's Charlie's thing. But I just want to congratulate Charlie because uh, you and I both got to meet him last year. Yes. Uh, within a couple weeks of each other, actually. Hell of a nice uh, guy. Hell, hell of a nice guy. Oh, they're guy. both, they're, they're both, they're sweet. Did you meet his wife when you, when oh, you met Oh, yeah, Tra- we, we, we yeah. had a grand old time eating dinner. I mean, it, it was amazing. It really was. It was, a. it was, it, it's, it's not, it's, even though we had just met, it didn't feel like we had just met, so. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so sweet. What a cute little baby. How I hate him. <laughs> Sorry, it's like the first Charlie Brown uh, comic strip. <laughs> Here's good old Charlie Brown. He can really depend on Charlie Brown. I hate him. So, <laughs> so we have emails. We do. We got a metric shit ton of emails. We need to get to them. Okay. Why don't you take the first one? From, I will uh, take the first one. From our, from, from our leader. From our, <laughs> from our technical leader. Yeah. There, there's a good, from our, a from good. our tech guru. There you go. All right. This one's simply entitled Tales Number 81 Feedback. It says Scott and Mike. Says, uh, I'm glad to see Tales back on a uh, more or less weekly schedule. Yeah. Well, okay. I enjoyed the show, even when I don't necessarily enjoy the comics being covered. Like in the case JLA number 231 and 232. I'm usually a sucker for the JLH JSA team ups, but this one was pretty awful. Which one was this? Was this that the was one the, with uh, uh, Amos Champions. Moses or whatever the hell his name was there, and the big afro hair and all that? Yeah, the dude. Did you call him Moses Magnum? That yeah, yeah, that's the guy. That's not, <laughs> yeah, that's no, what it looks the like on the cover of that. Yeah, that's right. The yeah. Oh man, that was rough. 
Uh, during the episode, you were wondering why the annual, which introduced the Detroit League, came out between those two issues and not after number 232. The events happen concurrently, so there really is no conflict. While Superman, Flash, and Wonder Woman are away, Aquaman forms the Detroit League. The return of the three is addressed in JLA number 237 through 238, if I recall correctly, and I think you are right on that. This is on the topic of the ICG indexes. You're responsible for the creation of Mike's Amazing World in the first place. When the site first went up in, the early, uh, in early 1998, it contained my want list and the beginnings of a Flash index inspired by the ICG ones. That's why the site is called DC Indexes. In the Indexes section of, the, of my DC site, you can still access the ICG-style indexes for more than 100 DC characters. Yeah, the site is uh, much more than just a cover gallery. Who knew? Obviously, uh, love me some Hostess, too. So count me in favor of Hostess Theater. More than 300 ads can be found here, and he gives a link to... Uh, it's mikesamazingworld.com slash features slash hostess. And Mike, we gotta, we gotta stop dicking around, dude. Hostess mm-hmm. theater has to happen, dude. I'm holding out for hostess to actually sponsor us. That would be awesome. We need to contact them. We <laughs> seriously, we do. Cause I, I don't think it would be that much of a stretch because I've been seeing new hostess stuff in stores these days and it yeah, looks like they had to a big like X-Men kind of, push this summer. That's right. Yeah. With the, it was like blue, um, Whatever the hell the stuff is, the cream filling was blue colored. Whatever the hell that stuff is. But what is it? Let's leave that out of the pitch, okay? It's cream (laughs) filling. We love you and whatever the hell it is you put in these things. Yes. (laughs) Look at Mike. Look, I mean, yeah, he's he's dropped about ten pounds, but that man obviously loves him some hostess. (laughs) (laughs) Not Mike from Mike's Amazing World. No, no, no. This Mike, (laughs) the one talking right now. <laughs> Mike Boyles wraps up by saying, "I get a big delight in every soundbite of Tales of oh, JSA. I love that. That's, that's how we should. Uh, that's how we should sign off. Every that needs to be a T-shirt. And uh, of course, Mike is behind Mike's amazing world of comics. Which, if you're not going to the site, what what the hell is wrong with you? It's like the go-to place for info on comics, man. I love I, I, that I, site, and I'm lost without it." I know, I I know that Jeffrey and I are not the first ones to really start using that site heavily for podcasting use, but it seemed within a very short period of time we all picked up on the information you could find there. Oh hell yeah! And it, it became like when I am putting together reading projects, I go to that site. Oh yeah, yeah. That you know, and and because. It is, you know, he. <laughs> I felt kind of bad that he wrote it's more than a cover gallery. It is more than just a cover gallery. There's so much information there. Well, you know how we constantly get emails all the time, or you probably get this a lot, too. You get, like, emails or you get PMs from somebody going, you son of a bitch, you went and podcasted about such and such, and now I spent, like, $500 picking up all the back issues. Yep. I should be writing that kind of stuff to Mike Voiles on like a regular basis because thanks to that son of a bitch, I'm going broke buying all these back issues because his site makes it so convenient to find all these, you know, you know, you can go in there and you could put in like, I don't know, John Byrne, for example, and you can find like everything he ever inked or everything he ever wrote or, you know, you can put stuff, you can put it in like publishing order or, you know, it's, it's nuts the stuff you can do on that site. And it's literally, 
you making me broke chasing down back issues and putting collections together and stuff that I never knew, you know, the threads that connected them before. You know what I mean? And it's yeah, but I love it, though. It's a, it's an awesome, awesome site. All righty. Next up, we have yay for the return of tales. And this is from Professor Allen, who we mentioned before. Mm hmm. Says Scott and Mike, so glad that Tails has returned. Absence makes the heart grow fonder and all that. Just don't let a two-year hiatus happen again, okay? We're trying, dude. We're trying, I promise. We're you know, you ever notice that these new guys that just have just gotten into the game are really mouthy about being regular? <laughs> let's, see, let's see what happens when you've been around for a while, and, and then we'll talk. And no, I'm not aiming that at Trentus Magnus, <laughs> even though I'm kind of aiming that yeah, at Trentus Magnus. Say. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I'm loving the show. Alan continues, keep up the great work. Professor Allen, host of the Quarterman podcast and co-host of Shortbox Showcase. <laughs> and if we can get thing everything together, he, Emily, and I may be doing a Two True Freaks Long Play. Uh, in oh, cool. About something, so, cause we, uh, well, we, uh, we had a serious tangent a couple... About two months ago, Emily, Allen, and I did uh, a big crossover between Shortbox Showcase and Views from the Longbox uh, about the Kents, uh, the, the oh, nice. 1998 mini uh, 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 maxi series that they uh, that they put out, which was awesome mainly because we got feedback from John Ostrander. Uh, which no was, way, really? Yeah. That's oh, I'm friends cool. with him on Facebook, so I just tagged him into the link, and he ended up listening to them and. I wasn't able to get anything to them, but he actually offered Emily and Alan if they had any questions about the series to ask him, and they read that on one of their recent Shortbox showcases. So it was just really awesome just to just to have that happen. Uh, he even made a joke about one of the running gags we had through the episode, so that that uh, that made me feel good. But uh, we we tangented on a particular musical artist, and he turned that into like a small episode, and that made us want to do something else. So. That's cool. As is our want. Now, let me ask you, do you have the promo poster for the Kents? You know, I might. I'll have to look, because Alan Leach Jr. Mm -hmm. Alan, uh, sent me a box of promo posters about two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he, I think he's the one that sent me the big box that I had at one point, too, or, you know, that I got, too. But this particular, Kent's one, I could be wrong. I I don't think I got it from him. I, I could be dead wrong on that. And, Alan, if, I, if I'm wrong on that, feel free to correct me. But I, I hope you do have one, because right literally around the same time that I remember you posting up that episode, I had just traded that Kent's poster to somebody for um, a second copy of that two-sided zero hour oh, poster. Oh, good job, sir. And, but I felt that when I saw you post up that episode, I was like, ah, shit, I should have offered that to Mike first, you know, cause I, I knew that you'd like it. I mean, I love the poster. I thought it was awesome, but it was at the time it was like, eh, I'll never display that again. It's just going to sit and rot in a box, you know? So I, I decided to, to trade it off. But as soon as I did, it, it was like, I literally like days <laughs> later when you posted that episode, then I felt bad that I hadn't gotten in touch with you about it. Cause I've been trying to pare down little by little on, on different things and, you know, been trading and just getting rid of some different things. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, all right. Next one here, episode number 11, it says, uh, all right. It says, yep. 
That's where I am. I have to apologize and confess that during the show's ups and downs in production, I fell uh, it fell a bit uh, off my radar. And now I've decided to go back and re-enjoy all the great stories you blabbed about four years ago. And I enjoy the blabbing too, but don't worry, I'm burning through an episode or two a day and should be caught up by this summer. And I'll freely admit that I hold no blame for the on-again, off-again, and uh, we-were-on-a-break production schedule. Yoda knows I haven't been able to maintain a schedule, a podcast schedule to save my life. So no blame or hard feelings, just fair warning that once I catch up, you'll probably be getting lots of emails from me. So there's that. Until then, I'm enjoying All-Star Comics. Comments on Layton's, Staten's Sexy Power Girl, the elitism in comics debate that never seemed to end, and a version of Scott and Michael uh, who have never heard of the New 52. Hell, this was before Scott moved to Florida or Mike dropped the super books for those months, which is weird for some reason. Okay, not going to bother you with detailed thoughts on what you talked about four years ago. Just going to sign off with a list of my shows because I'm shameless. And this is from John M. Wilson, uh, who is the, is he the host of all these shows? Or He is the co-host of Avengers Inspirations. Okay. He is the host to New 52 Adventures of Superman and Golden Age Superman. Uh-huh. And he's the host of the Star Wars cast. Cool. And cool. he, uh... Apparently, it's this was sent using a rare tear, tear and grill found in. Yeah, I was a, trying to figure that out too. Well, maybe we can uh, maybe we can figure it out in the next email, which is from um, <laughs> John M. Wilson. He, he was right; he was going to send us some stuff. So <laughs> this one's called Scott the Prophet. So uh, Scott's obviously paying attention. <clears throat> uh. I remembered something I did not. I did want to bring up, so this is kind of an addendum to the last one. Scott has not, twice now said things that ended up coming true. During an early Hostess ad, if Hostess ever goes out of business, we're fucked. <laughs> and uh, during an Elsewhere segment, while they're rebooting everything, why can't they get Barbara Gordon out of a, a wheelchair and let her start being Batgirl again? <laughs> I call stuff like this all the time. Nobody's paying attention. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right next one is entitled great to have you back this one's from randy matthews and he writes guys just dropping you a line to tell you i am glad you guys are back telling the stories of t-a-s-s and infinity that's tass mm, i don't know tales of no hmm, the all the all okay duh all right and infinity incorporated uh it's been a long day can you tell <laughs> just finished listening to I just the... figured it was you were old. <laughs> Say that again? I just figured it was you were old. Uh, that could be that, too. Could easily be that. Screw you. <laughs> just finished listening to the JLHSA crossover with the champions, and it was awesome, wasn't it? I remembered it, uh, and like Mike said, it was a pressed-into-service story to clear up continuity when it was still a new idea at D.C. Hmm. I don't know, was it? Because I was kind of toward the tail end of that particular continuity, so... I wonder if he's confusing that with the uh, Black Canary clusterfuck of an origin. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. You want to hear somebody say bad things about that particular story? Ask Rob Kelly at some point. He will tell you in great detail what he thinks of Black Canary's origin and the whole thing with the Thunderbolt and what an asshole Superman was. So... <laughs> 
says, you guys made me feel old when you talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths coming out when you were kids. I was a junior in college at the time. Well, in fairness, I say when I was a kid a lot, and and that can range anything from I was three years old till I was 23 years old. You know, I, I kind of use it as a blanket statement. Uh, let's see. Crisis came out in 85, 86. I was 17, 18 years old. So that was nine. Yeah. So Mike was literally a kid. I was. Yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. You know, high school age. Though I will say this to Randy, uh, I know how he feels. <laughs> yeah. When people talk about certain eras of Superman that I was an adult for, that they're like, I read that when I was a kid. So it's all cyclical. That yep. that feeling comes to us all. It's oh, absolutely. I, I can't tell you the number of times I click on a listing on eBay that says big box of old, 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 old comics. And you click on it. And it's like stuff from like 94. I'm like, what? The, what? Well, that was 20 years ago, dude. Yeah, but still, <laughs> damn it. Not old. Anyway, <laughs> I was excited about it, uh, but always felt that the series should have left five earths to explore or to start off brand new, like they did with everything in new 52, except for Batman and GL. Uh, it may be an age thing, but you guys like L-O-S-P. Oh, Legion of Substitute Podcasters, right? Yeah. Always poke fun at the issues while reviewing uh, and place 21st century views on 70s and 80s. Comics. I don't think I do that at all. Do I? Do I? No. You know, I... Because that's something I talk about a lot, but... I don't know. That's really, I mean, maybe there's things that, you know, rereading it, you know, with, with the advantage of hindsight, maybe you feel a little differently about something, but, uh, I tend to like want to contextualize the stories. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Not judging them by today's standards, but judging them against the books that were published at the time. Right. I, I should have read further because I, I actually took this to maybe he was like, like taking issue, but it actually turns out he's not. But also, in a point, he's probably right because I, I think I do do that when something, <laughs> when, when you know, when when views or society has like radically changed, mm-hmm. and you look back at something from the seventies that would feature like I don't know, just as an example, like a. a black exploitation character like like black lightning or something you can read something like that today and get a whole different vibe than what they were intending you know ba- you know looking back on it with like today's uh viewpoint so i don't know if that's exactly what he's talking about but for the most part i mean you know when we talk about stuff from 70s and 80s i mean hell we were alive i lived through most of that stuff so i try to put my mindset back to that that period as much as i, I don't know but again, I don't think he really meant it as a criticism because he continues here. He says, while I understand it, uh, I just never thought about the things you bring up. It is enlightening. But I guess the kid in me just colors my views when I read the issues. Hey, I am totally down with that, dude. If you ever listen to, uh, you know, Chris Honeywell and I, you know, doing our, our Star Wars comics, I mean, that, that's totally me being, you know, seven years old or, you know, nine years old again, you know, reading those comics. I, I can't be subjective about that stuff at all. So. I, I think I could it's, it's hard before. for me on From Crisis to Crisis to do that because mm-hmm. those books are such a part of the fabric of my youth. So, well, yeah, that's actually a better, yeah, that's 
that's actually a better example because that stuff's even you know that much closer to me um you know history wise you know i mean because the superman stuff you know from from 86 and up you know is not near as old as the as the star wars stuff and i still you know when i look at that stuff i'm go i go right back to the age i was then and i I can't look at that stuff subjectively either either i really can i think that's why i get so defensive when I feel like somebody's maligning it or, or unjustly criticizing it because I, yeah, I am far too attached to that material to be distanced from it, you know? Anyway, he continues here. He says, My first experience with the JLA JSA crossovers in the multiverse was JLA number 135, which I think we covered, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Isn't that part of the Shazam stuff? I believe so, yeah. Uh, or a reprint of JLA number 21. Uh, unlike you guys, I loved the JLA, JSA, LSH, that's Legion of Superheroes crossover. Uh, the only thing uh, that would have made it better would have been if it had the Teen Titans. Hmm. Be interesting. Be interesting. But I don't know if throwing more characters into it would have made it better because I think that was part of our criticism with it is here you had three of the most awesome teams that have ever existed and they're given completely short shrift and really not a hell of a lot to do. That was interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to go back and, and re-listen to that episode. Well, we were very critical. I yeah, I know we about were three or four months ago. Oh no, I, I, mean, I know that we were, but I don't think we were unjustly critical. I, I think no. that's really is not very good. I'm sorry. I I just I I mean do you do you think we were unjustly critical no, of it? No, in in re-listening to it, you know we we I think we went out of our way to say how much we wanted to like it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we were going into something to hate it. Right. It just ended up being like, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess that's the best way to say it is that it should have been. It, it, it's the, you know, it was the alpha and the omega of DC super teams, uh, with the Justice League right there in the middle of it, and it just did not feel. As epic, however, you know, when he talks about, you know, poking fun at issues while viewing that plays 21st century views, that is a Mike and Scott, or at least uh, I'm speaking for me personally, I don't want to throw you into this, but that's a Mike that has learned to appreciate the larger DC universe and looks back on it and maybe thinks it should have been better than it was. If I was a kid at the time that that came out, I may have a completely different perspective of that. Right. Right. So there's that too. Right. I agree with you there. He wraps up here by saying, are you guys going to publish a list of what you will be covering over the next 12 months? I am wanting to try and read along, but it would have been, uh, but I would have been wrong. Uh, excuse me. I can't talk, but I would have read the wrong stuff by the past couple of uh, podcasts. It is not that I do not have all the issues, including the indexes you mentioned. Um, I don't know about a list for the next 12 months, but I think we could do a much better job. And I, and I totally blame myself for this because I've been meaning to, to start doing this again. If nothing else, putting it in the podcast episode listings of mm-hmm. what we're going to cover the next episode. I used to do that all the time faithfully, and at some point I kind of slacked off. But at the very least, I think if we know what we're going to be covering for the very next episode, we can at least do that to give you guys a heads up. You know, like Andy does, you know. You know, next time in our all new hate or you know uh, tales of the JSA. You know, this is what we'll be covering. So, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll try to be better about that. To at least give you at least one episode's heads up of what exactly we're going to be covering the next time. Because I, I guess it never really occurs to me that people are wanting to read along. You know, as long as we've been doing podcasts, that that concept still kind of blows my mind that people yeah, are actually seeking out the stuff and reading along with us. It's just, I don't know, it's kind of, it's not weird, but it is weird. You know what I mean? So I, it just never really occurs to me. But yeah, long story short, I will try to be much better about that and give you guys the heads up of, uh, of what's coming down the pike. Just think crisis. Yes, most definitely. Crisis is coming along. Well, I mean, in the in the immediate future, I guess we could go ahead and spoil yeah. it here. If it's it's probably not even a spoiler, but for the at least the next what two episodes, right? Yes, we're going to be covering America versus the JSA, the the four issue miniseries. So there you go. That's that's your reading. That's your assignment. That's your homework. Should you wish to accept it. And then we've got the next two months of both uh, All Star Squadron and uh, Infinity Incorporated. And then we're jumping pretty much into Crisis almost. Yep. And then after that, all 407 issues of Super Pro. So get boned up right now. Start on those back issue bins. Look for issue 20. It's a special collector's item. <laughs> How many issues did that book last? I have no idea. <laughs> I know it was I know no 407. <laughs> I, can, I know a website that I can find that out at. <laughs> see we've got cover gallery because it's the easiest way in my opinion to find things on the site we've got going down a little bit nfl super pro oh, looking it up <laughs> nfl super pro went a whopping 12 issues and there was a super bowl special in that too by the way just to tell you i know you're excited cuz nfl super pro is your favorite I'm going to have to track down the rest of those and see if I can get Jose Delbo to sign the rest of them for me. <laughs> I'm lucky he didn't want to kick my ass over that. It's not like some artists who I've heard, if you give them your their early work, they rip it up in front of you. So, Oh, really? Yeah. That would be rude. All righty. Next up, we have from good friend Chris Franklin, who uh, who's, a, who's jumped into the podcasting world himself. So that's uh, him and his wife do a show together oh cool that he doesn't pimp in his email Ah, chris seriously but chris and his wife cindy host the supermates podcast uh which uh i i i'm so behind on podcasts i have not started a new one yet but uh from what i understand it is an incredibly good show andy's been on it rob kelly's been on it so uh I just think it's awesome when a when a guy can get his wife to uh, to do a podcast with him. Absolutely, he's the only one I know of. Uh, for right now, yeah. I mean, I've had Rachel on a bunch of different things. No, I mean, like, I, I that's mean, not like doing a regular, right? Yeah, that's what so. I was, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, no, what's the? Do you know what the subject matter is? Uh, anything and everything. It's all geek stuff. Oh, okay. So I, I know they talked about the live action Spider-Man series on Andy's show and they did a Justice Lords episode. So it's apparently, oh, cool. it's apparently all over the place. So it's, 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 uh, and quite good from what I understand. And I do apologize that I haven't been able to listen to it yet, but still, but there's, everyone's doing podcasts. Dude, right? I'm telling you. <laughs> Back in 2009, this wasn't a problem, but like half the people that wrote to us in 2009 had, had podcasts by 2011. So. Can I, can I just make a confession? 
When when Chris Honeywell and I said to people, get off your ass and, and make a podcast, we didn't mean it. Oh, that went over like a lead balloon. Anyway, go ahead. Move no, on. I'm laughing. Dude, I just took a drink while you said that. So I was trying not to choke. Because <laughs> all of our listeners went away and made podcasts. So now we're just talking to ourselves. But the subject line for this is For America and Democracy. Or something like that. It says, hi, Scott and Michael. Just wanted to drop it wrong. You're supposed to go, and democracy! I can't do Obi-Wan to save my <laughs> you life. You were supposed to be for the Republic, for democracy! <laughs> Scott, only Sith deal in absolute, which Scott Rifen recently pointed out was an absolute. <laughs> I was like, wow, that takes the wind out of that argument. Okay, very good. Thank you, Mr. Rifen. I uh, just wanted to drop you a line and let you know how much I've been enjoying your return to Tales. I sampled some episodes during your hiatus and really enjoyed them and plan on going back and filling in the holes in my listening experience as I go along. Just a few quick notes on All-Star Squadron number 38. The real American guy did indeed look like a Team America reject. I'm <laughs> sure you guys know this. But Team America was another one of Marvel's licensed comics based on an ideal toy line. I, didn't I actually know that. didn't. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that, because Scott Rifen, of all people, beat me up for that recently when we were hanging out together. And that I don't know how in the hell Team America came up in the conversation, but he started talking about the toys and everything. And I'm looking at him like, are you stupid? That was never a toy. I'm thinking he has it confused with something else. But no, as it turns out, I'm the stupid one, because no, it it was an actual toy. I had no clue that Team America was a licensed thing. I thought it was just, you know, just that comic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that I was not the only one that didn't know about this. Uh, his email continues, Ideal basically resurrected their popular Evil Knievel line mm-hmm. in the 70s, minus the controversial celebrity spokesperson. <laughs> they even included a Captain America in Motorcycle in the line, which I coveted. The first really? always came... Yeah, that's kind of awesome. Dude, I gotta find that. The, it's probably like a billion dollars. Uh, the first, to- either that or it's like one of those toys where it's like two dollars because no, because no one knows how to price it, because <laughs> no one knows it exists. That's so. not where the where Thor on the pink moped comes from, is it? I I have no idea what you're talking. Okay, about, so. All right. I move along. The first toys came with generic looking riders, but they eventually made the characters Marvel put in their comic series. The toy obviously didn't take off like G.I. Joe, and unlike Rom, another failed toy line made into a comic, the comic didn't do well enough to keep Marvel interested in publishing, I suppose. You know, I'm a DC kid, I'm DC born, and I'm DC bred, but I gotta tell you, you couldn't touch Marvel with licensed comics in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Every, you know, starting with Star Wars, everything they touched. Even, like, the Shogun Warriors, uh, from what I understand, was actually pretty good. So mm-hmm. they apparently had, they, they they put that lightning in a bottle and were able to make it go. Mm-hmm. I mean, holy crap. G.I. Joe went 150 issues. Yep. So, which, uh, I will never buy the 150th issue because it's always, like, $300. So, yeah. Hmm. Low print run. So I just saw a ton of G.I. Joe in the dollar box the other day with that. I don't know if you saw me my post about all those yes. great comics I got. There was a ton of G.I. Joe in there, but my problem, I'm looking at him going, I know that somebody out there in the world would die for this. And I felt like I should pick them up, but I didn't want to spend too much money. But I didn't know like which, 
what issues are supposed to be like the good ones or the valuable ones or anything? So I just left them lay there, but in, in and, and honesty, now you're killing me because I'm wondering if that could have been one of the issues that was in there. I doubt it. I, I, I seriously doubt it because that's pretty. If it was in there and it was a dollar, I would have given. I, 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 I drive down to Florida for that. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, uh, the good ones. Really, the the series isn't bad to start with, but for me, when you get into like the twenties. Mm-hmm. And you can go pretty much, except for like a few dips, you can pretty much go all the way to like into the hundreds and really enjoy what you're reading. Because Hama did a good job of building that world. And even when he was forced to put something into the books that he maybe didn't want to, he made it work. Like Serpentor worked in the comics better than it did on the animated series. So. Right. Right now, either Luke Giaconetti is either agreeing with me or yelling at me. Uh, <laughs> Chris's email continues, I'm a huge fan of Marshall Rogers and was lucky to meet enough to meet the man about 20 years ago at a very small con here in central Kentucky. Pretty much had him to myself for a half hour, and he graciously signed every Batman comic I put in front of him and gave me some art pointers. I've always loved that Golden Age drawing he did in Amazing World of DC Comics. Yes, I did. Yeah. And would love to see it printed on high-quality paper with modern printing techniques, since it's pretty muddy here in All-Star. No one drew Batman's cape better than Rogers, and that includes Neil Adams. That said, Shining Knight is actually erroneously depicted an outfit he wore in the late Golden Age when a young Frank Frazetta drew some of his stories. Mm. Looking forward to more of your crisis coverage, despite the presence of Big Sur and what he did to The Flash. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, one of my favorite versions... Uh, of the case of the chemical syndicate, the first Batman story, was the one Roy Thomas and Marshall Rogers did in Secret Origins number six. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous looking. Yeah, I, I actually was uh, was quite enamored of Marshall Rogers. I love his art style. Great stuff. He was a hell of an artist. All right, we got another one here from John. Uh, Wilson, he writes, uh, one thing I've learned, he says, one thing I've learned about Scott from listening to these older episodes is he spent a lot of time as a child swinging dead, <laughs> swinging dead cats to see if he could knock over a spinner rack. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I do say that a lot, don't I? I'm not saying you do, but you do. So, but that's okay. That's one of your things, you know? That's like my funny. thing of, you know, uh, that's really good in that not at all kind of way. I mean, we all come up with our own little lexicon of stuff. So. <laughs> the next one is also from John. It says the DC explosion implosion. Uh, dur- doing the reading for episode 19, and I came across the attached ad, which got me to thinking. And the ad was an ad for the DC explosion, which had Hawkman, Enemy Ace, Big Barda, the Ray, that dude I don't know who it is, Omac. I have no idea who the woman is. The, Mar- the guy that, if you're talking about the guy that was in kind of a piecemeal clown-looking outfit, I yes. think his name was Odd Man. I think. I think you're right. I feel bad that I don't know this, because I feel like I should. But, uh, you know, I could hold my own with trivia. So, Dead Man and the Atom. So, it was a really right. uh, beginning June 1st. The DC Explosion. Um. So, uh, just to describe the ad, which got me to thinking, John continues. I'm imagining what it must have been like in the D.C. office. It's a bright, shiny Tuesday morning. 
Everyone's all hustle and bustle, creating and coordinating all the books that are due to hit the stands in the next couple of months. There's an excitement in the air because DC is going places in a big way. And it's a great day to be working for DC Comics. Except in one office. In one office, little Max Pencil Pusher is crunching and recrunching the numbers. His breath is coming fast and short, and his brow is getting all sweaty. He's also getting all those little itches all over because of some pores are trying to sweat, but, but they're clogged. Max should scrub better. The problem is the numbers don't add up. Somewhere, someone made a mistake, and these explosion plans have put them over budget. Way the fuck over budget. Not only can they not put out extra books they're planning, but they're going to have to have to contract, contact, contract the extra current line significantly, contract, excuse me, the current line significantly just to recover costs. He doesn't know how it happened, but he knows it wasn't his fault, so he can keep his job, and all he knows is he has to tell somebody. So he gets his papers together, takes a deep breath, and walks nervously to the offices of John Muckety Muck. After knocking hesitantly and too softly, he goes in and presents his information. Ten minutes later, Mr. Muckety Muck sticks his head out and tells the secretary to call for Mrs. Blow Mrs. Blowhard Bigwig and Too Big for His Britches. Despite his attempts to be discreet, however, some bullpenners have noticed and started wondering what's going on. Words and whispers start floating around, and when an all-hands meeting is called for that afternoon... A pall falls over the bullpen. Work continues, but it's more quiet and reserved. By the end of the day, the explosion has imploded. An all-star has been one of the casualties. As a result, the world is a sadder, darker place. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's a very entertaining version of it. Uh, what happened is there was a blizzard. And from what I understand, that really hurt their um, distribution that winter. And there was something else. The The reason the implosion happened, I read a really good article on it a couple of years ago. I really wish it might have been a back issue magazine, because that seems like something that back issue would cover. Uh, but it was like a series of events led to the implosion. It wasn't that they got right. too big for their britches, which is funny to think about. But, you know, they were basically wanting to decimate Marvel, and it just didn't work out. So I could be wrong, but didn't the... I think paper had something to there do with it. There was a paper. Yeah, but then I've also read that that might have been like a... Uh, the reason why I didn't have it is uh, paper was too expensive. That's the reason. So, you know, it's just one of those things where... It's really sad, too. You know, Detective Comics almost got canceled during that? Yeah, I remember hearing about that. But... You know, it's one of it's their oldest titles, so they're like, okay, we'll just cancel Batman Family and put Batman Family in Detective Comics, right? Because it was a world where Batman Family sold better than Detective, so which doesn't surprise me. The thing was a buck and it had like sixteen stories in it, full of awesome characters. So obviously, that thing's gonna sell. So that guy that we were trying to remember his name, and again, I still can't remember his name, but for some reason, Odd Man sticks in my head. I could be dead wrong, but I think he eventually did appear in more recent continuity. I I think he was a pallbearer at Booster Gold. Was it Booster Gold? I was thinking it was Booster Gold. Isn't he? Am I wrong about that? Uh, You're absolutely right. He was a pallbearer at Booster Gold's funeral next to Beefeater. Yeah. Hmm. Was he a Steve Ditko creation? Yep, he was a Steve Ditko creation. Was he? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> Sounded like we were insulting Steve Ditko. I don't think that's the truth, but, you know, 
<laughs> well, I'm actually uh, I'm out of emails at this point. <laughs> Do we okay. have any more in the in the inbox? We've we've got two. We've got one from Jason Trenner, uh, fanboy Miss Prime. Uh, Swamp Thing was wrong. Hey guys, weird that you ask. Hey, what what was the time a hero pulled basically something out of their ass and utterly off and was utterly off and talked about Swamp Thing? See, in Swamp Thing's first appearance, he believed his bio-restorer formula was what saved him and, and along with the swamp, the materials he landed in. So Alan Moore's take being he was utterly off on that doesn't really retcon anything as Swamp Thing was just pulling it out of his ass. Okay, I think I see what he's saying now. Uh, now, the time between then and Swamp Thing was restored to full human form, well, Moore never really explained how that was possible. Sorry I didn't have anything uh, really JSA-related to say, other than that I love the show and your coverage of these characters, era, and such. Uh, and that was from Jason Trenner. I think we uh, that holds the record as the shortest email Jason Trenner has ever sent. <laughs> didn't make any more sense than the rest of them, though, I'm sorry to say. I, I couldn't follow that at all. But no, he's, he's right, though. Um, yeah, there was a time, it was late in the in the run of the first Swamp Thing series which canceled at number like 24, I think Something where, where swamp thing was because through the course of that whole series, basically, and I don't want to sell the series short because the series is fantastic, but basically if there's an underlying plot that links the entire first series together, it's that swamp things desperate to recover his lost humanity. And toward the end of the series, he does, he actually does manage to regain his human form again. Um, and then after the book was canceled, he spent a number of years kind of wandering and, and guest appearing in different titles. Um, I remember he was in Challengers of the Unknown in some different places. And he was um, depicted inconsistently. And for the most part, it looked like he had become Swamp Thing again. Although, if I'm not mistaken, I think there were still references to the human thing. Anyway, by the time we get to uh, him regaining his title in Saga the Swamp Thing, I don't recall it ever being addressed that he had ever recovered his lost humanity. And then, of course, by the time that Moore came along, he never touched on that, which is interesting because I, of all the people that I'm touching on that and explaining it, I think Moore would have done a really good job with that. I'm sure that he could have pulled a really good story out of that never did so it was never really addressed what was the deal there if he was never human how the hell did he gain something he never lost or you know, regain something he never lost it, it never was adequately explained which is kind of a shame because I, I i do think that potentially there, there was a really interesting story there that we just never got yeah i uh I, i've never read the original swamp thing series oh you should what I hear. Um, I know I should probably avoid the first 20, 19 issues of the uh, <laughs> the revamp series from the 80s. No, I would say... Chris talk to them. Read, them. read the first few. Read like the first, I don't know, like the first three or four were really good and then it just goes like into some really weird territory. But um, the original Swamp Thing series, at, at least... The Ween and rights and stuff is, I mean, it's classic comics. You, you really are, are, are not doing yourself any favors to not have read it. Um, 
in particular, read the issue, and I'm struggling to remember what issue number it was. I want to say like number seven or something like that is one of the all-time great Batman stories. Even though it's an issue of Swamp Thing, it's Swamp Thing comes to Gotham City and runs afoul of Batman. It's a really good issue because it's... uh, I forget who wrote it. I'm pretty sure it's Ween writing on that one, but uh, Wrightson drew it. So it's it's Swamp Thing versus Batman by Wrightson in Gotham City, and it's some damn good stuff. Do you? Uh, favorite, what's that? My favorite Wrightson artwork is what's that? The pictures that he did for the chapters and cycle cycle of the, of the werewolf. werewolf. Yeah, great I stuff. Love that stuff. Yep, I love that. I love that story. I love the movie that they did about it too. I thought the movie was really good. Um. I don't know how many um, of the big, like, limited collector's edition books that you might have, but there's one that's out there. I, I want to say it's the one with Batman and Robin on the cover. It's like Batman's Strangest Cases, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. It, it, I might have the wrong book, but there is one of those limited collector's edition books that reprints Batman stories. And it reprints that Swamp Thing story in it as a Batman story, which is really odd because it's a Swamp Thing issue. But they reprinted in like one of those like greatest or strangest Batman stories ever told or something like that. But it's one of those big collector's books. So it it has been reprinted at least that one time, but really good story. I I think that you would enjoy it as a as a Batman fan. Good stuff. Our last email is from a new writer. It says, Tales of the JSA is the, the subject line. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? Faithful listener of Fire and Water's Who's Who podcast, and Shy bring you bring brings you guys up nearly every episode. Being a fan of the JSA, I finally decided to take the plunge and start listening with your first episode. Good stuff. Now just fourteen years to go. <laughs> I don't expect you to remember your first episode, but you mentioned that you always thought it was odd that Wildcat teamed up with Batman a lot in Brave and the Bold, but was apparently from Earth One. I have a theory. Since Flash of Earth 1 remembered reading comics about the JSA, the Flash of Earth 1, because Gardner Fox of Earth 2 had dreams where he witnessed the events of a parallel dimension. When Wildcat was introduced in the 40s, he was inspired to become a costume hero when a kid showed him a Green Lantern comic. Could it be that DC decided in the 70s that Wildcat was from Earth 1 and read Green Lantern comics inspired by visions of Earth 2? Just a thought? Aaron Bias. Aaron? Uh, that's a great theory. I just assumed that Bob Haney didn't give a shit and just wanted to write a story with Batman and Wildcat. And that's how it happened. Because that's how Haney was. Yeah, that's always been my impression, too, is that Haney just couldn't be bothered, essentially. Which, it's funny because I think, by and large, we all give him a pass on that. Oh, yeah. And definitely. look back on that very fondly. That's the kind of thing that would make fanboys nuts today, you know, that we'd, we'd all be on the Internet bitching about me because I do give him a complete pass on that stuff. It's just become one of those accepted things. Oh, yeah, that Haney stuff, man, it's wild and wacky, and that dude didn't give a shit about continuity at all. 
I'm like the continuity guy. That should make me nuts, but strangely, it never did. I, I was totally down with it. I, I think it has to do with the fact that, you know, we've done a couple Brave and the Bold issues. Uh, one of them, I think, by Haney uh, over on Back to the Bins. And the the appeal of Brave and the Bold, to me, is that I don't have to worry about 15 issues of continuity I can just jump in and read Batman teaming up with Richard Dragon. Or right. Or get DC Comics Presents where Superman teams up with OMAC. Or you can have The Thing teaming up with the Liberty Legion. Or Spider-Man over in Marvel team up, you know, teaming up with, you know, Iceman. Right. You know, it, it, it just, it doesn't matter. Now, to be fair, some of those titles had storylines running through, but you could still read each issue... For that, and I think there is, you know, as much, you know, I'm a, I'm a continuity guy too, but I think there's an appeal, and, and what it touches is that memory you have when you first started reading comics, everything was brand new, mm-hmm. and you didn't have any perceptions of right. what a character is. And with Bob Haney's stories, you can recapture that whenever you want to, because it doesn't matter, and it's just fun. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, becoming a continuity nerd is a bad thing because I am a big believer in the fact that if you are going to have a continued universe where you have these characters existing together, especially if it's a larger universe like DC or Marvel, you know, you kind of owe it to your readers to keep a consistent history. You know, the idea of, well, you know, I'm just going to ignore that because it doesn't suit my story Okay, that's fine in the short run, but what you're basically doing is limiting your prospects and limiting your audience. Because when you leave, your audience is going to leave that title and Superman, Batman, The Flash, whoever is still going to be around. So I think, you know, it's it's where maybe it's a paradox. That's the best way to refer to it. But to me, you kind of owe it to your audience to at least at least keep everything happened, you know? You don't have to talk about it. You know, I have a girlfriend that I dated when I was 17 to 19 that I don't talk about, but I don't also ignore the fact that that relationship happened. You know what I'm saying? You know, you don't have to talk about it, but don't sit there and contradict it, you know, wholesale just because you're not imaginative enough to work around it. You know what I'm saying? I do, yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you. But yeah, it, Bob Haney is... You know, they, they say that addicts, uh, you know, people who become addicted to drugs or alcohol, are all constantly uh, chasing that first high. Right. Not been hooked in the first place. I think comic fans are like that. And Bob Haney is like that first high over and over and over again. It's funny, you're not going to believe this, but I I was thinking literally that thought today about myself and comics and using that same analogy in my head about, you know, chasing that that first hit or that first high. So it's it's eerie that you just said exactly what I was literally thinking earlier today. That's, yeah, we need to stop recording right now because you're in my head. That's not a safe (laughs) place to be, dude. It's kind of sticky in here. <laughs> You've reached the end to another amazing episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America. 
You can find this show as well as an entire slew of other awesome podcasts on a wide variety of geek-related subjects from giant monsters to time lords to movie commentaries to fangirl interests at www.twotruefreaks.com. There you can hear Scott on such shows as Star Wars Monthly Monday, Star Trek Monthly Monday, Comics Monthly Monday, and occasionally Back to the Bins. Mike is on Comics Monthly Monday as well as hosting or co-hosting a few shows himself, like Views from the Long Box, which can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which can be found at www.fortressofbailytube.com. Scott and Mike have gigantic egos. They love to hear themselves talk. More importantly, at least according to their publicist, they want to hear from you, so you can reach the guys by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Would you like to sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks network shows? Simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com. Click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. You can also support this show and the Two True Freaks Network as a whole when you shop on Amazon. Again, simply head on over to www.twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon link. There is no additional charge to your purchase, and a portion of that will get kicked to the network. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Thank you for listening, and come back next time for another exciting episode of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. 